This is News Talks on the record with me, Richard Chambers, in for Kieran today. We're joined, as always, by Donald Fallon for another edition of Hidden History. Good afternoon to you, Donald. Good to be here. Good to and be here. Before we get to today's topic, a very happy Gaelic Sunday. Yeah, I'm delighted about this. The momentum that built up around this event. Uh, we did a Hidden Histories on Gaelic Sunday a couple of months ago. It was mm. the 4th of August, 1918, when anything in the region of 1,500 to 1,800 Gaelic matches were played across the island of Ireland at once yeah. uh, in defiance of a ban. And, you know, it seems that clubs all across the island have got into the spirit of this. Uh, they're going to market in Croke Park in, in style today. And, you know, it's great because this Dublin team, they've nothing to play for today, mm. really. And the argument being made was, ah, oh, we should move the Dublin game to Parnell Park or even play it in Roscommon. But I think, you know, given the centenary of, of Gaelic Sunday and the weekend that's in it, let's get a good crowd out for it. It's good to have it on where it is. And absolutely. the GAA does seem to have fully embraced this. Absolutely, they did a big absolutely. social media campaign around this and people beautiful were, video fantastic that really, was really fantastic. dramatic video wasn't it like a yeah. Hollywood production and I mean the GAA its role in the Irish Revolution said in 1916 Rising and Bloody Sunday I mean the GAA in a way was involved in both of those events through its members but they didn't ask they definitely didn't ask for Bloody Sunday to happen in Croke Park you know what's unique about Gaelic Sunday is it's the day in which the GAA itself took action so it's its most significant contribution to the Irish Revolution mm. and brilliant brilliant to see it marked in such a style in, in the, four, the four provinces yeah it's worth looking at that video it's online I think it's on the GA's Facebook and Twitter anyway. Yeah, have a gawk at that if you have a few spare minutes on your laptop today. But let's get on to today's edition of Hidden Histories. I have come to you as Bishop of Rome and Pastor of the Holy Church in order to celebrate this union with you in the sacrifice of the Eucharist here in Ireland's capital city of Dublin for the first time in Irish history. Is there anything to be said for another Mass? The Holy Goli, the Holy Goli. This is it, John Paul, <laughs> Pope John Paul II in the Phoenix Park in 79. We're not talking, though, about the Pope's visit. I mean, as iconic as that was, and even the young people of Ireland, we love you. I mean, recently referenced in Dublin Old School, that mm. terrific film with mm. Emmett Kirwan in as well, referenced in so many different other things. It's something which is a real cultural zeitgeist. Mm. But... The thing about it is, there's the Pope visit, the Pope's visit, but there's the papal cross in the Phoenix Park, which yeah. has stood there ever since. And what an incredible uh, masterclass of Irish engineering that thing is! And just recently going through the park, uh, I think that's a real—it's a great focal point in, in the park. You know, regardless of the symbolism of the cross, I think it, it brings people there. People kick footballs around it. People walk their dogs around it. I just looked at it one day and went, who put that there? You know, mm. and, and the story of its construction is quite remarkable. I mean, it cost £50,000. It was constructed just eight weeks in advance uh, of the papal visit in 1979. So it is, the, it is the, if you will, it's the symbol, if you will, of that moment in 20th century Irish history. And I think the visit of Pope Francis, by comparison to 1979's papal visit. It's very, very different for a lot of reasons. People are saying it's different because the church doesn't have the same sway in Irish life. Look, 500,000 tickets are gone for this. Yeah, That's very significant. It's a cultural moment whether you like it or not. It's still a cultural moment in its own way. Uh, But the 1979 visit was interesting because it it wasn't as drawn out. You know, we knew two years ago that Pope Francis was coming. This visit in 79 was kind of spun on us and it's assumed this iconic place in Irish folk memory and, uh, and Irish identity. So I think it's interesting this time. Definitely this visit has produced considerably less ephemera. Uh, I saw the very unfortunately titled Lolly Popes yeah. for sale. In Down in Guyanese want them, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think one of them will someday end up in the Little Museum of Dublin. That is uh, guaranteed <laughs> to happen but it's the, mad. Yeah, it is because I mean, people say oh this isn't significant anymore but I mean the amount of memorabilia which is, it's actually 
we'll just call it what it is. It's pure tat. It's yeah, that, yeah. That's been hawked everywhere around the city. I haven't anyway. seen so much tat since the 1916 centenary. <laughs> uh, and Dunn stores are doing a whole line of Pope Francis t-shirts, including a, a yellow one that, that, that's quite fetching. But when we went around the country and we did that thing, National Treasures on television, what a lot of what came forward was stuff from 1979. Just mm. the sheer volume of ephemera was incredible. But what it did give us as well as ephemera, which is forgotten in the presses, is the papal cross. Still standing. In many ways, the cross is as Dublin as the spire or, or the River Liffey and deeply controversial too. Uh, and it has its detractors, but this today is the story of its construction. Yeah, and the Phoenix Park is is no stranger to having contested monuments Oh yeah, absolutely. It. Going right back. I mean, the streetscape of Dublin has always been contested space. And we actually have no equestrian statues in this city at all, which is amazing because we were the second city of the British Empire mm. and yet there's no equestrian statues. There's one actually right next to us at Break for the Border. Oh yeah, you're <laughs> a on the horse. Yeah. Yeah, there's, an, there's an Indian on a horse outside Break yeah. for the Border. But you know, the streetscape of Dublin City Centre, there's one in Ballymun as well, but there's no equestrian statues. The British had a great love of equestrian statues yeah. and the IRA had a great love of blowing them up. And in the Phoenix Park, you had Viscount Goff. He was on horseback. Uh, Winston Churchill's earliest memory of childhood was actually being in the Phoenix Park at the unveiling of that monument. Uh, it was blown up in 1957 and mm. the great satirical poem at the time said, Neat the horse's prick a dynamite stick. <laughs> uh, the Earl it's uniquely of, Dublin uh, the in itself, Earl isn't it? of Carlisle was up there as well. It's re- really weird, the Earl of Carlisle, because the plinth is still there. The statue was bombed off its plinth in the Phoenix Park. So there is a plinth that says Earl of Carlisle and no man standing on top of it. And there's Wellington. And of course, no one's blowing up Wellington, whether yeah. they want to or not. The sheer scale of the thing. It's that's just, an operation to that's do an, that. That's, that's forget. I mean, the, the operation to blow up Nelson's Pillar was codenamed Operation Humpty Dumpty, yeah. uh, according to Liam Sutcliffe, who took part in it. Wellington is a, a, a much more difficult task. So they've never quite managed to get rid of him. But after independence, you know, the park changed. You have people like Sean Houston, 1916 rebel up there. And the Papal Cross in many ways, you know, one of the, one of the I think maybe still the newest monument in the park, it also reflected an Ireland of its own time. Mm. And the day itself in which, you know, people gathered underneath that cross to see the oh. Pope. I mean, the, the scale of it, everything and all yeah. the little details. And to I think if you want to get too. the scale of a massive event, the way you get that is by going into the micro and looking mm. at the little things. And the numbers were astonishing. Something in the region of a million people were in the park that day. There were 6,000 people in the choir alone. The papal carpet was two acres in size and was delivered to Dublin on three lorries, each carrying 30 rolls. And what I like about the carpet was it was made in Antrim, the home county of the Reverend Ian Paisley. Fantastic. Something he was none too happy about and which the media didn't fail to comment on. And, you know, in the background, an awful lot was happening in Ireland in 1979. I mean, the troubles were raging. Ian Paisley outlined his total opposition to any attempt by the Pope to visit the North. In the end, Dundalk was as far north uh, as the Pope actually went. And when the Pope was here, he called on the the provisional IRA to abandon its campaign. Mm. Uh, And the IRA kind of angrily responded to the Pope, which I don't think anyone thought would happen, telling him, you know, you can't talk about men of violence in this country without mentioning the 33,000 troops on the ground in the North. So... It was very much a visit that was shaped by what was happening on the island of Ireland. It was hoped when Pope Francis announced he was coming here that he'd go to Armagh, giving its very deep religious importance in Irish history. Sadly, I don't think he will be going north. But in 1979, you know, this was a very different country. Ireland was a country that was in political economic turmoil too. Mm. Uh, the cross itself then I mean it, who put the idea there to like let's stick this thing up yeah, it's, who had to design it then at that point it's the work of Scott Talon Walker Architects and £50,000 which is just an incredible sum of money constructed in Inchicore Steelworks uh, and the structure weighs in at 31 tonnes so it, you know, in, in many ways this was the main symbol of the event and it attracted international media attention because it was designed when you think about it you know, like when you look at political rallies in the Soviet Union, this massive symbol mm. is designed to capture the magnitude of what you're looking at. And Richard Ta- uh, Ronnie Ta- Talon, the architect, he, he wrote about this not too long ago, back in 2004, and he gave some idea of the project. He said, at the beginning of August 1979, 
I received the call from the Archbishop of Dublin appointing our practice to design and build an outdoor event for the celebration of Mass for a million people. He'd received confirmation that the Pope was coming to Ireland in eight weeks' time. Eight weeks. Eight weeks. That's incredible. For a project of that size. (laughs) Imagine getting that phone call and being told you have eight weeks. And he said, we decided what we required was across the height of Nelson's Pillar, which was 125 feet tall, which would be clearly visible to all from the further reaches of the vast congregation and which would give a sense of focus to the occasion. And afterwards, Talon was actually awarded a papal knighthood uh, for his efforts in designing the cross and the altar for the historic event. But he gives a sense, he said, you know, normally if we were doing a steel contract, it would take six weeks to get the material in Mm. and another 12 weeks on top of that to have it fabricated and erected. So this entire thing, 18 weeks of work is done in just eight weeks it's extraordinary that is incredible stuff and how you know getting the project and saying okay you have eight weeks to do it is one thing but bringing it to the Phoenix Park it's so big another. I mean getting it from Inchicore to the Phoenix Park is a real problem I mean it, 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 there's not roads big enough to do it mm. so the only way they can do it is by bringing the thing right down the Keys so she crosses over the O'Connell Bridge and you can imagine people just stopping and you know, it brought the city to a standstill, yeah. this massive, massive cross in pieces. Uh, you know, the sheer size of the structure meant that this kind of longer journey was required. It took 200 tonne cranes to lift the cross into position. Uh, and Talon, you know, very critical of his own work, actually. He was asked if he was happy with it in the end. And he said, I'm never happy with anything I've made. And if I was, I'd retire. Mm. It's one of the difficulties of any creative society. You aim at perfection, which is impossible to achieve. I wonder what he was unhappy with it if he was to yeah, change anything of it. it I mean it, it crosses across doesn't yeah, it? Yeah but it's still there you yeah. know, it's, it's bar- well, it, it needs tender loving care but it's still there. So how does it work now? Who owns the cross really is, is, a, is a fairly basic a question to it and the, what happens with That's it? the problem when, mm. when the, the visit is over this cross is standing in the park and the question is what happens now? Uh, and recently released state papers just around the corner from us in the National Archives the Catholic Church wanted £100,000 from the state uh, for ownership of the cross. <laughs> we put this up in your yeah. park, so now give us 100000 there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of people in the country who think the Catholic Church should be handing over money to the state today. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church wanted money from the state for this thing, uh, claiming it was owed money for costs incurred during the visit. And Charles Hawhey actually thought it could be a tourist attraction. Uh, he wrote to a minister of state, Sylvie Barry, he said, efforts should be made to make it attractive, even inspirational. I think we should go for an abundance of trees of all kinds and create a pleasant setting in which visitors coming to see the cross can relax. And that's what we kind of have there now. You know, people yeah. do come and have picnics around it uh, and the like. So it really Hawhey, is a focal point, isn't it? Is, it, it is. Yeah, so. How he envisioned it as as this kind of tourist attraction, which it kind of has become. The bus tours go right up to it as well. But a year after it went up, the base was daubed with graffiti. Mm. And the graffiti was interesting. It said, if men could get pregnant, contraception and abortion would be sacraments. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the slogan, slogans are often, graffiti is often painted on things and just painted over and never, never thought Quickly of really. Fixed, yeah. But this ended up everywhere. Um, every Irish newspaper, you know, ran a picture of that graffiti uh, on its front page. And it wasn't the, the last interference with the monument either. So there would have been a lot of opposition to it. I mean, we do think of this as being, you know, the, the visit of the Pope in 1979 as being this great unifying thing. But there was opposition. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Dermot Ferreter always says the 1970s was Ireland's 1960s. You know, and in some ways it was. Certain movements, like the women's movement, were finding, were finding their voice here. But the Papal Cross did something incredible. It united two people that have never been united before. Irish feminists in one corner and Kevin Myers in the other. Wow. Because what, that, is, that, is, that is a vast chasm. That is a, that is a vast united front of opposition. <laughs> because Kevin Myers, one of the only journalists that actually came out and said, I don't like this thing and it has to go. Uh, when he was still at the Irish Times, he wrote an article in 1990 and he says, does Antashka not have an attitude to this defacement of a public place by a cross which is a monument to vulgar triumphalism, a ghastly monstrosity, he believed, that had no place uh, in Ireland a decade on from the visit. So if you can bring Kevin Myers and feminists together.
you've done something at least anyway. That's impressive. Whatever people think about the Papal Cross, though, Donald, I mean, it is significant. It does matter. And when I look at it now, what comes to mind for me is, one, the the, the moment, 1979, but also those lads in Inchicore. I can't help but think of those men turning this yeah. thing around in eight weeks. It's, it's, it's an incredible piece of engineering. And the Buildings of Ireland database, which is a wonderful uh, online resource for anyone interested in architecture, they have it. They say it's a considerable feat of engineering rather than a piece of sculpture. It marks a significant moment in history. It is of considerable social as well as religious importance. Uh, there's also a little plaque on the runway at Dublin Airport where the Pope first touched Irish soil. Only a select few Dublin Airport workers uh, will ever see that. Most of the public will never see it. But half a million people will gather uh, at the cross later this month, proving, as we said at the beginning, that the church still has considerable influence. But maybe, to be honest, it's more the pulling power of, of Pope Francis. Yeah. I think he's a very interesting more to do figure. That, maybe, perhaps, but it's still, I mean, you can't deny it. And I think people who do try and yeah, deny it. Yeah have the fingers in their ears like you know, they're deaf um, to the 3D aren't they you know for historians there'll be massive interest in what he says you know John Paul II when he came here he couldn't avoid the issue of the day which was the violence in Ulster the provisionals all of that Pope Francis can't avoid the issues of the day and the issues of the day here as far as the church is concerned are the legacy issues around the church so it'll be very very interesting to see uh, how he plays it but it's all ahead of us Okay, we'll wait and see it will be fascinating to see yeah, good stuff my thanks to Donald Fallon author of the Come Here To Me blog and book volume 2 that's it from me filling in for Kieran today Off The Ball is up next here on News Talk my thanks to today's production team Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan Jojo Cardozo was on sound and now to play out born on this day August 5th 1930 American astronaut Neil Armstrong who of course died back in 2012 so we'll leave you with a bit of the man himself along with another star man David Bowie Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I'm uh, at the foot of the ladder. I'm going to step off the limb now. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Slow voice on the